Someone told me years ago that when you have a testimony, you should share it uh, because it encourages other people in ways you don't realize. And so I just want to share this really quickly before we get in the Word today. Uh, Tosh, when I sat down, she said, when you moonwalked up there, I've never been more attracted to you than in that very moment right there. Just a word of encouragement there for you, all right? Well, just like last week, we are going to cover a tremendous amount of ground uh, scripturally. And so go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ruth. Uh, today is we're going to wrap up our Heroes of Faith series that we've been in now uh, for a few weeks. And so in this series, we've been looking at the lives of prominent Old Testament individuals. We've been learning from them. Uh, here's some things you should do. Here's some things you should not do. And ultimately, we've seen how their lives and their story point us to the bigger story of what Jesus Christ is doing in redemptive history. And so we're going to get continue that today uh, by looking into Ruth. And just a little disclaimer, uh, we are going to cover the entire book of Ruth today, all right? So, but let's not your hearts be troubled. I promise you're going to get out of time, but uh, we're going to be uh, kind of sk uh, skimming through the book of Ruth. Uh, so if you want to move there to this morning. So, but even though we're covering a large section of scripture, which from a technical aspect in, uh, in preaching, it's a little more difficult, uh, I'm excited because uh, I want you clearly to see that when in the book of Ruth, uh, what we see clearly is that oftentimes in the hardest times of our lives, God surprises us with incredible uh, grace uh, in our lives. And so, uh, let me give you a little bit of context in the book of Ruth as you're turning there. The book of Ruth is set during a, a period of redemptive history called uh, the Judges. Uh, after the death of Joshua, Israel was led by uh, judges, and judges were kind of the political, spiritual, military leaders all rolled into one. And what we've learned in looking at the book of uh, Judges uh, in past series is that every single time that a judge would die off, the, the Israelites, they would just go back into idolatry full blast. And this deeply grieved the heart of God. Because the whole reason that God wanted to create a nation for himself is so that he could dwell with his covenant people and his glory would be displayed through them to the nations. But that couldn't happen every time they went off into uh, idolatry. And uh, one of the truths that we've encountered uh, multiple times in this series is that God is sovereign. And that God uh, providentially orchestrates events uh, sovereignly. He allows some things to take place. He disallows some other things uh, to take place. But all of it is for his uh, divine purposes. The Bible says he's working all things according to his sovereign will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. But what we also see today is in the midst of all of that. That God's orchestrating all these events, God's sovereign, all these things. Life can get kind of messy uh, in the middle while that's all being played out. And so God often uh, surprises us, extends grace to us in the middle of that messiness uh, in, in surprising ways. Uh, and I don't know about you, but that's encouraging me. Here's why. I'll take all the unexpected grace I can get. Amen? Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but whatever you struggle with, whatever, sometimes people are like, well, you're a pastor. I don't know what's, you know, what do you struggle? I struggle with the same things you struggle with. Life can be hard. Life can be discouraging. Uh, we got a, a medical bill that, uh, in the mail. We we're not expecting it. We're certainly not expecting the amount of the medical bill. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Which, by the way, if you work in medical billing, how do you sleep at night? Amen? And so I just said, hey, this bill's coming through. Just did you know that? I didn't know that. So, you know, and it was for an ultrasound for one of my kids. And I said, but by the way, I had an ultrasound last week. I said, you know, the, uh, been having some GERD or, you know, whatever. And so I said, so I imagine it's going to be the same amount, so it's coming twice, praise God, right? So we just had that conversation last night. Tosh takes kids gymnastics. She says, hey, I just want you to know I'm on my way. Uh, here's what she said. Which is cheaper, the ER or urgent care? 
not what you want to hear, right? And so long story short, we found out one of our kids broke their finger uh, there. And so, uh, so this, uh, <laughs> this morning, I got up, and I was like, you know, we get to church, and I'm just trying to get my mind right, trying to worship before I get there, and the tire on my car is flat. No big deal, right? God's, God's providing. We've got an extra car. I'll just drive my daughter's car. The battery's dead. So I just want to tell you this morning, I'm preaching angry. Amen? <laughs> Tasha, are you going to drive your Jeep there? I said, no, because you smell like gas so bad when you get out that you can't even be around people, right? So here's what I'm telling you. When God says, hey, I'm going to provide unexpected grace in your life through vehicles and means through which you don't even expect it, and at times when you desperately need it, listen, I'm here for it. Amen? Like I'm all in, and so we're going to see that today uh, in the book of Ruth, God's grace fully on display. So let's start off in uh, right at the beginning, Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read down verses 1 through 10 this morning. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she's left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah. Just, is it just me when you see that? Do you want to say Oprah? That's not, that's not what it is, right? Was well, Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left with her two sons and her husband, or without her two sons and husband. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Noemi, Noemi... <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been drinking this morning. I don't know if you're, I had a bad morning. Just a little wine for my stomach's sake, all right? It's in the Bible, look it up. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Now, uh, because we're going to go through the whole book of uh, Ruth and kind of an overview today, let me do a little storytelling a little longer than normal to kind of help you understand uh, the context. So here we have this husband and wife, uh, Elimelech, and uh, his wife, whose name is really hard to pronounce, apparently, Naomi. Uh, and they're Israelites, and they've got these sons, and they said, hey, we're, we're going to uh, relocate, and some would argue unwisely. They make a decision to leave, uh, move their family from the promised land to the, uh, Moab in, in search of food. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, right? People move all the time, and, and it seems reasonable that if you're in a famine, that you want to go to the place where there's food. But here's what you need to understand. The promised land zip code was a part of their personal identity, it was a part of their heritage. It was a part of uh, their identity. Each family had a, a portion of land designated to them in the promised land, and so that would be passed on from generation to generation. 
And so you just didn't sell off that land. You didn't leave that land. You didn't sell it off. It doesn't matter if the real estate market was hot. You just didn't do that because that was a part of your identity. That had the potential to set the trajectory of your family literally for generations. But they just decide we're going to leave that and we're going to go to a place where there's food into a place of Moab, which, by the way, is an extremely pagan culture, which presents another problem, which is this. The Jews were forbidden to intermarry with other people groups because they had a bad habit. Not only would they take on a spouse, they would also take on the idols of that spouse's homeland. But their potential unwise decision turns into grief because when they get to Moab, Naomi's husband dies. So here she is, single mom, raising two boys, Uh, trying to raise them in a pagan, hostile environment far from home. Fast forward. These two boys grow up, and they do what boys do. They fall in love with women they're not supposed to fall in love with, right? They said, hey, these Moabite girls, they're kind of attractive. And so they find two Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth, and uh, they think, you know what? This is a, a celebration. Yes, we've had great loss, but now my sons have found wives But that celebration ends quickly because after that, those two weddings are replaced with two funerals because both of Naomi's sons, they also die. Now, let me just pause here. One of the things that grows my confidence in the Word of God is it doesn't paint a picture that if you just follow Jesus, then your life will be nothing but unicorns and rainbows, right? It's real people with real struggles living out uh, in a real world, and so uh, we see this playing out here in the book of Ruth. And so Naomi, she doesn't know what to do. Not only now she a single mom, she's raising two boys. Now those boys are gone, and now what she has is two daughter-in-laws, and she doesn't know what to do, so she often does what we do when we don't know what to do. She just says, I'm going to go back home, right? And so she decides she's going to go back to what's familiar, but she tells her daughter-in-laws, she says, you stay here in your homeland. Basically, you're young enough, you can get remarried, you can start over. You know, for me, I've just got to go back where I know things are a little familiar. And so Orpah eventually agrees to stay, but Ruth says, I'm not. That wherever you go, I'm going to go. So uh, skip down into verse 16 in chapter 1, and here's Ruth's response. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. And so what's happening here is this this, this incredible relationship being formed between Naomi and her uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth. That this thing's just growing, and, and it roots us, hey, listen, uh, I understand you're going back, and, and, and wherever you're going, I'm going to go with you. And so this incredible relationship is forming, and so Naomi decides to go back to her hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a town of uh, less than 200 people. And so when Naomi returns, it, it's a big deal. Everyone knows right now, here's a little interesting fact. Naomi's name in the original language, it means pleasant or sweet. That's what her name means. But in verses 20 and 21, if you want to skip down there, uh, she's not pleasant or not sweet upon her return. She's actually mad at God because from her perspective, this is not how my life was supposed to turn out. And so she says this in verse 20 and 21, look at it. Do not call me Naomi. Pleasant or sweet, right? Do not call me Naomi, call me 
mara, which in the original language meant bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity, uh, calamity upon me? Listen, she's actually in the place that if we're honest, some of you have been at some point in your journey with Jesus. Matter of fact, some of you may be here, there today. You may say, when I look at my life or season my life or when I look forward at where I think my life is going, I don't feel like I deserve the hand that I've been dealt. As a matter of fact, if I'm honest, I don't feel like God is for me. I think he's actually against me. And so what happens here is what we see is what's taking place in her life, what has a potential to take place in our life, which is this, is that great loss has the potential to turn us bitter towards God. And don't just think of loss in the narrow context here where there's loss of life. Loss could be loss of opportunity. It could be loss of reputation. It may be a financial loss. It may be a loss of health. It may be a loss of peace or stability. It may be some kind of family dynamic loss. But that loss, whatever it is, if we're not careful, those are often the seeds of bitterness that if we allow them to take root in our heart, the book of Hebrews says, a root of bitterness will spring up and our bitterness defiles us and everyone around us. And so Naomi says, when I look at my life, don't, don't call me pleasant or sweet. Call me bitter, because that's exactly what I am. That my life has not worked out as if I thought it was going to work out. And so we know that that's where she's at, because look what it says uh, in verse 19 through 21. What does she say there in those languages? She just says, uh, the Lord has brought calamity upon me. She, she doesn't say God allowed this to happen in his providence and his sovereignty. No, what she say? The, the Lord has actually brought this into my life on purpose. That's how bitter she is at God. And maybe some of you have found yourself or find yourself in that same place this morning. But here's what I want you to understand. That Naomi had a choice and you have a choice as well. So if you're listening, say amen. In life, you don't get to choose your losses. But you do get to choose how you respond and whether or not those losses will define you moving forward. You get to choose whether or not your losses will cause you to run from God and his grace or run towards God and his grace. You don't always get to choose your loss, but the most important choice you will make is where you turn to seek refuge in the midst of dealing with that loss. And hear me this morning, you will seek refuge in seasons of loss. There's no question about that. The question is, will you seek refuge in Jesus or will you seek refuge in something else that you think will satisfy your heart even more? And so we don't always get to choose the loss. Naomi didn't choose this for her life. She's bitter. And so listen, you don't always get to choose the losses in your life, but you do get to choose where you turn for refuge in the midst of that loss. And so we look at Naomi's story. At this point, we just say, wow, if I could use a word to describe it, I would describe her story as loss. But as we work through, what you're actually going to see is the word used to describe her story is redemption. The beauty of her story and often the beauty of our story is that redemption takes place in the midst of loss, not in the absence of it. She thinks she's going home empty-handed. She thinks God has dealt sorely with her. 
But if she could just see past the point of her pain in front of her, she would see that God is at work all around her writing this incredible story of redemption uh, in her life that will impact her life and literally through this will bring her into the family line of Jesus himself. The very things that God orchestrates to engineer her redemption in the story of the lost are probably some of the same things that God will use in your story of navigating loss as well. So I want you to listen this morning, all right? Because what God uses for her is often the same things God will use in your life to redeem losses for your good and his glory, all right? So I want you to see two things in the text. Number one, God may surprise you by his grace. Number one, through an unlikely relationship. If we fast forward to chapter 4, Specifically, verses 13 and 15, we would see that that God has a way of doing this. That we experience a season of loss, again, whatever that loss may be, and then God providentially puts a relationship into our life, and they walk with us, they stand with us, they're present. And on the other side of that, we say, man, I I don't know how in the world I would have gotten through this situation with my heart still intact, right? Were it not for the grace of God made evident through this person in my life that God placed into my life, oftentimes unexpectedly. Who would have guessed that Naomi's daughter-in-law from Moab would be the one that God uses to sustain her? But that's exactly what happens. Look at verses 13 through 15 down in chapter four. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. Listen to this. Blessed be the Lord. Remember what Naomi said just a few chapters ago? Cursed be the Lord. Right? He brought calamity into my life. They say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, which I don't know if that's kind or not, right, and culturally. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than, who is more to you, remember she lost two sons, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Now what makes this unlikely? Because we rewound in in chapter 1, what do we know at the beginning there in chapter 1 that Naomi tries to keep Ruth from from even going with her. She says, no, listen, I'm going to go back. At my age, there's nothing else I can do. I'm just going to go back home and and you you girls just stay here. You remarry, you'll start your life. You've got your whole life in front of you. You just stay back. And Ruth says, absolutely not. And what God's providentially doing is God's using an unlikely relationship to sustain her, to comfort her to convince her that he is at work uh, in her life. And, and what happens is she just says, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to push you away. That I'm going through this loss, and Ruth says, hey, I want to stay with you. We're, we're close. I love you. She says, no, no, you're going to stay back here now. Can we just be honest that oftentimes in the hardest seasons of our life, that's exactly what we want to do as well, right? That in the times of our life when life is hardest, when we should be drawing people and pulling people close, what our tendency is, is we want to push people away. I don't know how many times I've watched this, but it still doesn't make sense to me. 
That in over 20 years of pastoral ministry, I've watched this play out over and over and over in the body life of a church, is that when people start going through hard times in their life, they start drifting away from the body of Christ. So at the very place where they desperately need these providential relationships, just like Naomi needed Ruth, they start drifting away from those relationships instead of leaning into those the time when they need encouragement the most and lean into community, they start to pull away from. Now, let me say something that may make you a little uncomfortable this morning, all right? But it needs to be said. If you consider this your church family, but you have no close relationships with anyone here, let me just say this. You're not practicing New Testament Christianity. In the New Testament... We look at the church, it was incredibly familial in nature. That's not me mispronouncing familiar, all right? Church was not a weekend event. It was not an information distribution center. It was not a dispenser of religious goods and services. It, it was a family, and it's through that family dynamic that God engineers unexpected relationships for our good at the very moment that we need them. And so if you're not building those relationships, listen, that's not how the church is supposed to work. And, and sometimes people think, well, that time of need, that's what I'll call on one of the pastors. Listen, we've got five or six pastors. There's over 1,200 people that go to church here. Do the math. Do the math. And so what's God's plan is that you would form relationships and people would walk with you in your hardest times, that they would stand with you in those difficult times. And so what happens here? Naomi's going through an incredibly difficult time, and God engineers this unlikely relationship. Remember, you're not supposed to marry a Moabite, and that's exactly what happened. You're not supposed to go with me. You're young. Stay here. Start your life over. you got your whole life in front of you. She says, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. So God engineers all these circumstances who stand with her in her deepest time of need, and that's exactly how the church is supposed to work. That God redeems the losses in our lives. Not by always fixing it, but by surrounding us with people who love us, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who love us, so that when the bottom falls out, what they say is, hey, I don't know what to say, but what I can promise you is this, you will not walk through this by yourself, praise God. And so that's exactly what we see happening, playing in here uh, in this context. Well, let me just say this, you have to make an effort for that to happen. This is not a relationship environment, by the way. If you start talking back to me, I'm calling security. Amen? Relationships happen outside of this room, so you have to have the courage to step out of anonymity and into biblical community because what we see here all throughout the Bible is that relationships are a mess worth making. What we see all throughout the Bible is that relationships are the vehicle through which God grows us but also through which God sustains us and comforts us. And oftentimes, just like in the story here, God will use the most unlikely of relationship at just the right moment to sustain you in the midst of your deepest loss. And so I'm going to say this before I move on. The people around you, they're a gift to you. Do you know that? And I get when you look around, there's some weird birds in here, amen? If you're thinking, I don't think that's true, it's you. You're one of them, all right? But the body of Christ is a gift. 
that God uses in unlikely providential relationships to redeem our losses in his plan. And so God may use an unlikely relationship and surprise you with his grace through that friendship. But also, uh, what we see here playing out in the book of Ruth is that God may also engineer an unlikely outcome. Now, if you've been with us for this whole series, you may be thinking, I, I feel like we've said that either directly or indirectly at, at many points in this series. And so, uh, guess what, Sherlock Holmes, you're dead on. All right? And the reason, that's on purpose, because the reason is we see that playing out over and over in the timeline of redemptive history. We learned a couple weeks ago that God has the ability to, to reverse an outcome at his sovereign pleasure and, and engineer an unlikely uh, outcome. And the reason that's so important to keep emphasizing, well, not only does it keep coming up in the Bible over and over, the reason it's important to keep emphasizing is because here's why. As we see God's track record playing out in redemptive history, that he's engineering these unlikely outcomes, as we see that track record playing out over and over, what that should do, that should grow our confidence in the character of God. Should grow our confidence in the character of God. And let me tell you why that's important. Because as my confidence grows in the character of God, because I've seen his pattern all throughout redemptive history, when I look in the Bible, him engineering the most unlikely of outcomes, when that grows my confidence in the character of God, then what happens is it strengthens my ability to live by faith instead of just by sight. Do you know why it's easy to live by sight? Because that's what comes natural, right? That's, that's the, that the natural, our natural view is to, to live by sight. It takes faith to live by things we have not seen. And one of the things that grows our faith is the character of God uh, is reaffirmed over and over and over uh, in Scripture. That God uses seasons of loss to provide a platform to display his goodness in unexpected ways by engineering the most unlikely of outcomes. We see that over and over. We see it playing out here uh, in the book of Ruth. As a matter of fact, uh, we see this uh, in some incredibly unlikely uh, stories playing out. Rewind a little bit into chapter 2. And so what we see is they start off in chapter 1, where they end in chapter 4 in the middle. In chapter 2, uh, we're going to see some things, unlikely things start to pl uh, play out here. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verses 1 and 2. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean from among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Skip down into verses 19 and 20, still in chapter 2. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, uh, listen, here's a key phrase, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
And so if you had any study in the book of Ruth, you know the uh, familiar passage of the book of Ruth is a kinsman redeemer, a familiar term, right? So this is where we see that introduced. Now, uh, fast forward chapter 3, look at verses 1. And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man. In other words, don't go out and say, hey, I'm, we're related. You know, so, so she says, don't make yourself known to this man until he's finished eating and drinking. And then verse 4, look what it says. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And so that term, kinsman redeemer, that we see starting to play out here, uh, let me tell you what it means. The kinsman redeemer uh, was a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need. The Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person, all right? So, so that's what that means, that's what this that, that phrase uh, means here. All right, so let's keep reading, down in verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. So Boaz says, hey, you're right, that is the role I'm, I could play here. Yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning, if he'll redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So basically what Buzz is saying is, hey, listen, according to our cultural norms, yes, I could be a redeemer for you because of our uh, relationship and family relationship. But however, there's a person who in our family tree that it makes even more sense that they would serve as your redeemer in the situation that you're in. So Boaz runs into that relative. And basically, the guy says, hey, uh, Boaz tells him, it, it makes more sense for you to do this, to play this role, but if you don't, I will. And here's the man's response in verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. And I'll just hang on to that, because that's important, all right? Lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, can we just pause here for a minute and say, some of this culturally to us is, is weird, right? Like we see this story play out in culturally, you this guardian, this redeemer, buying property, inheriting a wife, and, and let's just be honest, the weirdest part is uh, uncovering someone's feet while they're asleep, amen? If the person sitting next to you says, I don't think that's weird, uh, lean over and tie your shoes tighter, Okay? But in their culture, some of this was totally normal, but there were some unlikely uh, instances here. So remember in verse 6 when the Redeemer says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own uh, inheritance. Why, why would, what would cause him to impair his own inheritance? That little detail in the story that Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites had oppressed God's people for 18 years. And so people in that region, Jews would have nothing to do with Moabites. And so the guy said, hey, you're right. I could do this. It may make a little more sense. But I'm not willing to do this because if I redeem her, 
knowing that she's of Moabite origin, I may forfeit my own inheritance. So Boaz, listen, uh, it's all you, bro, right? This is totally on you. And so Boaz risks his own inheritance for marrying Ruth. Now, let me just uh, stop here once again. Can you think of anyone who gave up their potential inheritance to rescue an outsider and to bring them into their own family? Is there anybody else that sounds like in redemptive history? The answer is what the answer always is, right? It's Jesus. This is exactly what he's done for you and I. That we who were afar off were brought near by the blood of Christ. The Bible says you and I who were outsiders, foreigners, not deserving to redeem. He risks his own uh, inheritance that he could have had played out before him to rescue you and I from a life of suffering, from sin's penalty and from sin's power. This is pointing ultimately, which the whole Bible is by the way, to Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer who brought us into his family at great risk and harm to himself. Now, this is where it gets really awesome. There was a lady named Rahab. And she lived in Jericho back in the days of Joshua. Rahab, maybe you know her story, maybe you don't. Rahab uh, was a prostitute and a foreigner She actually helped the Israelites when they came into the promised land. But make no mistake, she doesn't have an honorable profession. She's a foreigner. She's a prostitute. It turns out Rahab had a son. Anybody want to guess his name? Boaz. Boaz took in an outsider, Ruth, because as the son of a prostitute, he would have experienced what it was like to be shunned and be cast out as an outsider as well. And so guess what? This is not just the incredible story of Ruth and Boaz. This is the story of us because when Jesus redeemed us, that's exactly what he did for us. We who are once afar off, again, have brought near by the blood of Jesus. Boaz, through an act of great mercy, rescues Ruth from a life of suffering. And Jesus, through an act of great mercy, has invited everyone else to be rescued from a life of suffering under sin's penalty in in the future and sin's power in the present. And so if you walked in today as an outsider, then here's the good news of the gospel That because of our kinsman redeemer and his great mercy, you walked out today as or in today as an outsider, far off from God because of his grace, you can leave here today as family. Redeemed by his grace, by our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. That is the power of grace, and grace has a name, and that name is Jesus. Let me invite you to bow your heads this morning. Let me ask you a question. Have you been rescued and brought into God's family by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is there even an awareness that apart from relationship with Jesus, 
You're on the outside, a foreigner in the family of God. And our sins have separated us from God, but Jesus has come as the ultimate kinsman redeemer and through an act of great mercy, he wants to bring all of us who are outsiders and adopt us into the family of God through a relationship with him. If you're here today and you've never experienced that saving grace or you're not sure if you have, then hear me this morning. Jesus Christ wants to be your redeemer this morning. And so if you've never received him for the forgiveness of your sins or you're unsure, would you pray right now and receive Jesus Christ and let him redeem you from sin in your life. Sin's power in the present, sin's penalty in the future. If you're here and you've done that, let me ask you a question. Have you placed yourself in a position in this spiritual family where if you walked in this week into a time of great loss, there would be relationships in this family that God would use in your life to sustain you? And if the answer is no or not yet, then would you, just, would you just pray right now, Lord, I'm available for that. Would you just pray and ask God to give you the courage to step out of anonymity and into community, believing that God uses relationships to grow us and sustain us. And lastly, if you're here and you're in the midst of some great loss in your life, whatever it is, would you just say, Lord, give me the strength to live by faith. Because when I live by sight, it's, it's discouraging. It's disheartening. And so, Lord, this very moment, by faith, through the power of Christ in me, help me to live by faith with a deep confidence in your character, no matter what it is. Father, we pray this morning incredibly grateful for the saving, rescuing, redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. God, we're grateful that not only do you save us, but in the meantime, till we get to heaven, you put people in our lives who grow us and sustain us. And so, Lord, help us to believe that to the point where we live out of that. Yes, relationships are messy and inefficient. But God, you used them for our good and your glory. So Lord, help us to lean into what you've ordained, which is relationships. God, we're grateful through all this that once again, Ruth helps us see Jesus better. And so may it grow our affections for him deeper. We pray in his name. Amen.